Welcome to the London Business School podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence. How are businesses using AI today? I am Julian Birkinshaw, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School, and I'm the host of this series where we discuss the practical applications of AI in the workplace and in society. Today, we are putting the spotlight on professional services firms, such as consultants, lawyers and accountants. This is a large and growing sector, employing more than a million people in the UK alone. And while it has so far been almost immune to automation and commoditization, many experts see turbulence and disruption ahead. Joining me to discuss how AI is starting to shake up the world of professional services are Seamus Ray, until recently a partner and head of digital disruption at KPMG, and now CEO of Engine B, a data platform for professional services. Also, Farhan Lalji, a guest lecturer at London Business School and a venture capital investor with the Anthemis Group and an expert on AI technology. Welcome to both of you. Thank Hi. you. Seamus, we'll start with you. Just take us at a fairly high level through the various things that a law and accountancy firm is doing in terms of how AI is currently being used to help them work more efficiently or effectively. So Julian, you're right when you, in your introduction when you talked about people are predicting a significant change uh, over the next few years within legal and accounting. So it's widely predicted. I did a load of work four or five years ago with Imperial around what could be automated across the various different service lines. And actually, 70% of audit can be uh, automated, larger percentage of tax, and about 60% of legal. So, so that's as it was four or five years ago, and obviously things have moved on. Where we are today, I think it's also fair to say that the partnership model of uh, legal accounting specifically resists change. So, so we've really been in a situation where we go through three phases, I think, across all industries, three phases of AI disruption. Phase one is what you might call shiny toy syndrome, playing with some technology. Lots of partners around the world in, in each firm just finding new interesting startups and playing with them. The second phase is kind of operational efficiency, which is about how do I actually make the things that I'm doing today more operationally efficient? And then there's business model change. And I think we have moved out of the play mode and we are in operational efficiency mode, but because the danger is you get stuck there. So I think at the moment it's quite nascent. And so if you look at big accounting law firms today, are they currently actually taking some of their employees out, junior professional employees out, and shall we say, you know, replacing them with technology. Is that actually happening or do we see that still coming down the road? Yeah, so, so a couple of things. So actually all the big firms have announced big change programmes. So uh, KPMG has publicly announced over a billion and a half of transformation around audit and tax. EY is committed to two billion. And actually, you know, had we heard EY's press announcement, we might have gone to two billion as well <laughs> <laughs> when I was at KPMG. But anyway, so the reality is there are big programs in place and they will disrupt the models and the pyramids which exist today. I would just say, and we don't need to go into this now, there's an assumption that's only going to impact the junior staff. And that's the wrong assumption, I think, actually. OK, and we will come back to that. Farhan, let me just get you involved. So people will have heard about RPA, robotic process automation. Tell us a little bit about what that is in the context of professional services. So I think there's a lot of misinformation around what exactly artificial intelligence is and the different classifications of how automation and data aggregation and data interpretation lead to us being able to actually do 
real artificial intelligence. So RPA is part of a system of change in terms of technology that are impacting the way data is gathered or the way data is used. Machine learning is another way in which we are extrapolating insights off of data. And these are very different from actual artificial intelligence. When we talk about intelligence, we're talking about learning systems. And that's very different from machine learning and RPA. RPA and machine learning are both trying to automate the processes that we enable people to actually take care of, whereas artificial intelligence is actually making decisions based on that data. So if we just take the the stuff which you're not you're not really calling artificial intelligence as such, which is automating processes. Just give us a couple of examples of what what that looks like. I mean, I've heard about you know the discovery process when you're taking a court case, a legal case. I mean, trying to trawl through documents in order to to find useful precedents or what is that right? Is that happening today? That yeah, we're using- I mean, and and I think like it's not happening as much as people are fearing yet because we're still in that data gathering mode, right? So once we've collected that data, then we can actually layer some of those automation processes on top of it. So while we're talking about things like precedent finding or other discovery items, the first thing you have to do is actually classify the data. And my background is in financial services. And we see that a lot in the banking space, right? Where from a data aggregation perspective, we might be able to have all the data in terms of what you're spending and where you're spending. But the classification still needs a lot of work in order to be actually knowing that somebody's spending that on entertainment versus on travel. And it's the same thing in legal. It's the same thing in accounting, where we're still in that mode of gathering the data and classifying the data in order to enable us to actually optimize the decision making. Which means that therefore that the sort of the prediction of many junior jobs going away has not happened yet. No. And I think there's one thing to say that these jobs will go away, but I think it's another thing to actually say the jobs and the way we employ and the way we leverage people's insights and intelligence will change. Good. And again, I want to come back to that, but Seamus, in in KPMG, for example, I mean, this sort of process automation is is underway already. What is, shall we say, the state of the art in in terms of using these technologies to, to, to automate an, an audit process, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, Fahan was right in terms of, if you start looking at some of the use cases, a lot of them are about natural language processing, right? And, and just finding entities and data points within a contract, an invoice, an employment record, etc. And that takes a lot of data. And, you know, if, if we look at uh, audit disclosures, which is a, a point where a company sends their audit reports into an audit firm, and the audit firm's got to make sure that the SEC rules and Companies Act are all covered, all the risks, et cetera. And actually, you can collect up a whole load of data, get a load of junior staff to annotate what they're doing when they're looking through, and then you can do some machine learning. Uh, and actually, we did 10 days of uh, data collection and uh, did 45 minutes of training on a Watson platform and got 73% accuracy, right? So we've got to get to 93% to be better than human. But I, what I would say is that that assumes a static position in AI capability. And, and if you look at the Google BERT piece, you can now do training uh, with a lot less data. So, so things are moving on, but, but a lot of the stuff is around natural language processing. And, and let me just give you one other example, which is actually also in, in the kind of fintech space. So and this is public information. There's a, a tool that KPMG has built, which is around looking at bank loan books. Mm. Um, and it can be used on mortgage bonds, et cetera, as well. And the idea is that it will go through all the mortgages and go, has the bank classified the risk on this as being uh, red, amber, green in the right way against the rules, right? So historically, that would be done on a sampling basis, and somebody would go through and sample you know, the, the a global mortgage book or whatever. 
and therefore there's a limit to the quality because of your sampling. But now we've got a system which will go through every single one and will look at the original paperwork, et cetera, and decide whether the classification in terms of the risk is right. But we've also now extended that, KPMG's now extended that, to re-look at the creditworthiness, re-look at the valuation of the property and do a new loan to value and also look at, is there any news around property prices in that area? So it's actually the higher quality in terms of the amount of data used, but also now not sampling. So that's the kind of thing you can see so, shifting through. And that, as you say, is... is Live today. I mean, there's, live there's, today. now, as we move from that sort of basic process automation to what both of you are saying is, shall we say, real AI in terms of cognitive insight, prediction, even interacting between humans and, and machines. Where where do we see the biggest opportunities for that in the world of professional services? Well, I think it, it really goes across the board. Right. I mean, I think if you think about the legal profession, the accounting profession, management consulting, all of them will have major disruption when we do see real AI in those industries. And I think there's going to be still that human computer interaction element that helps us kind of understand that to kind of say one in particular, or maybe I think the question rather is what comes first and what's going to have the most impact on some of the others, right? And I think when you look at the accounting profession, for example, a lot of that is data interpretation and is actually people doing what machines can actually do with basic rule systems put in place. So I can see the biggest shift happening first when it comes to accounting. I think the legal profession will probably take some of that change and have to change the way we process law, the way we interpret law, and the way we manage law on top of that. So while it will still be disrupted as well, I believe, I think the way that the legal profession can almost develop itself and change itself to help administer, to help manage, to help us guide uh, new technology and new systems into the industry. Seamus, an example of where you think the, shall we say, higher order forms of artificial intelligence are going to disrupt the professional service industry most? The automation, the next wave of automation will happen at the point of need. So Blockbuster might, might have been improving their retail outlets, but they weren't delivering to the, to the sitting room, right? And actually, the, the risk for the law firms and the uh, accounting firms is that they assume that the demand will come all the way through an organisation, through the general counsel and into the law firm, and they'll automate that. But actually, what's going on is, and you're still starting to see this occur, is actually you can start seeing help happening at the point of need. So when a senior manager is looking at a contract for a big supply chain deal, then actually the system go, it looks like you're looking at a contract. Let me assist you with you know, whatever the company's standard contracts are. And then actually you could even have, and this is under development at the moment, a chatbot, which will be kind of help you to build out the contract and answer questions. So that's not going all the way through to the external law firm that's been done uh, at the point of need and can come from a, a legal tech startup. So let's just unpack that a bit. So you're saying essentially every professional services firm by definition has a client that has a particular need and that as technology improves, the ability for them to resolve their need almost without recourse to a traditional law firm or consulting firm is going to be greater. Yes, and I think that's right. But also I think the definition of client changes, right? So, so I mean, not only should the law firm be selling to the GC, of course they should, because if there's a big acquisition, that should happen. But actually, people are bypassing their own GCs and getting legal tech solutions coming straight in. And that might be around the LIBOR piece, or which is going to change all the LIBOR contracts. LIBOR as in London Interbank yeah, offering, right? Right, right. So we've got to change that. Uh, all those contracts are going to be changed to remove LIBOR and put something else in, right? But you don't need to go to your GC. That could just be done automatically at the point of need. 
but also the definition of client. You know, audit firms currently work to the CFO and the audit committee. Yeah. But you can imagine in the future, and you go to the audit committee via the CFO, et cetera, but you can imagine the regulator being going, actually, we just want to have a view of whether this organisation is health, healthy or not, and the shareholders having a view. So, so it doesn't have to be the CFO. So I think you've got to be really careful about professional services' current view of the client. may may still be partly true, but actually the end client's different. So we are as you say, moving from the client to what the client itself actually ultimately needed to do in the first place. Sometimes that is regulatory compliance. Sometimes it's the chief executive's needs. So give us an example, either of you, where you see this sort of disintermediation or challenge to the kind of the traditional big professional service firm happening. Well, I see it in my industry, in terms of from a legal perspective, right off the bat, there are great kind of startups working on automating the process around setting up deals for investment into companies. So there's processes that can readily be automated and are now actually being automated. And you're seeing larger law firms leveraging those systems instead of assigning junior staff to kind of work on early stage deals. You see that actually there are platforms that can be used. And that's just one example. And those platforms are artificial intelligence based platforms. Yeah. I mean, again, kind of trying to classify what they actually are, right? Because a lot of it is actually machine learning, natural language processing, kind of enabling us at some point to have real intelligence on top of it. But yeah, they are kind of machine led first systems. Let me give you two examples. One is JP Morgan, and they've announced this, I've got a system called Coin. And that actually goes through the T's and C's of derivatives contracts and sorts them out. And they've removed 300,000 hours of legal work every year. So you're kind of going, uh, you know, that's that's not been uh, done by a law firm. That's been done by JP Morgan and their own data scientists, right? So that's a, a major disruption in itself. But also the business model is going to change for the professions as well. And, and one of the big four, actually announced at a conference, so it is public, is going to start providing corporate tax services for mid-tiers for free, right? And the, the quid pro quo is that they get to use the data and anonymize the data uh, for broader benchmarking purposes, right? But you suddenly go, somebody's going to the market and going to offer corporate tax services for free. That just takes the market. And everybody else is going to go, hang on a second, we're still delivering this with bodies. Yeah. And so I think that's going to be, that's going to happen again, slice by slice, right? So let's play that thinking out. So the professional services firms have, as I said in the introduction, been somewhat immune to change. They are continually among the most, shall we say, well-paid professions out there. There's been a lot of threat of disruption over many, many decades. You know, I've been around long enough to have heard this story before. And yet right now, there's a lot of evidence that says actually they are doing just fine. So where does the truth lie here in terms of five, 10 years from now, will they still be as big and powerful as ever? So do you mind if I go for I feel yeah, passionate yeah, about yeah. this one. So, so I think there's a lot of evidence, right? And, and a week ago, the, one of the big four accounting firms announced their new profits per partner. And I won't say which one it was. And the, the profit per partner had gone up. And so lots of people were talking about it as being a great success. Yeah. But actually, I, I hate to say, tell you, but if you look at the margin of that organization, it's gone down since last year. Right? So the distributed profits to partners relative to the revenue has gone down. And if you look at that ratio, back in 2006, it was in its 30s, right, across all of the industry. And now it's in the teens. So 30 is a percentage, is, an, is that some sort of EBITDA type number? It's, it's like an EBITDA, but, but I'm, I'm a great believer in cash is real, everything else is an opinion, right? So 
The revenue number is interesting. The actual cash distributed to partners. So the, those are the only two metrics. Are you saying they're using few, they've got fewer partners and essentially it's, right. a, the, it's the, a sort the, of the a partner, leverage? Yeah, the partner leverage model has changed. And, and actually, if you're going to go back to 2006, it was in its 30s. And, it, and last year, the average was 19% across the industry. The firm which announced last week at 16%. So everybody's going, it's outrageous. No, 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 their margin's going down. And if you analyse it, the revenue per member of staff has stayed stable, not, not even gone up with inflation since 2006. So there is a massive productivity problem. And the way they're solving at the moment is changing the ratio of partners to staff. But that's not sustainable. If that's all they do, then one of the big four will go bust in 2025. And that's not acceptable. And they know that. Right. So that's what's causing them to invest. But if they just create operational efficiency, trying to improve the current operations, then actually that's quite a difficult thing to do because mm. partners like to sell bodies. Mm. They don't like selling technology. So there's a big cultural right. problem as Do you well. think that's going to change, Seamus? Because there is pressure from kind of the outside in terms of clients knowing kind of the true value and having other potential sources to go in terms of building their own internal consultancies, their own internal functions. So they're kind of competing yeah. with that a I, little bit. I, I completely agree. So, so the reality is there are certain moats, right? And one is the brand, which has trust, et cetera, built in. But actually, I think the trust today, not just in accounting or legal, but broadly, yeah. uh, the value of that's diminished, right? So... And then you've got access to clients and access to data. So obviously what I'm doing now is, and this is across industry, across accounting legal, is to open up the data, right? Because actually I think this should be a more open marketplace because the, mo the moat for data, you know, to build the right data extraction tools for an accounting service or a legal service, which works across multiple clients, can cost up to $50 million. And that's... That's a moat. Let, let me just, and you're using the, the word moat in the sort of Warren Buffett sense of sort of yes, that's a, right. defen I am sorry, a defensible yeah. <laughs> position. Let's just follow that train of thought. So your company, Engine B, is designed to create essentially some sort of level playing field around access to corporate data that all professional services companies can tap into. Is that is that correct? Just say that, yeah, tell us a little bit more and, about and that. To be completely open on us, wherever we can, we're going to open source things, right? So... And this is a cross-industry initiative supported by nine audit firms and the uh, County Association, the ICAW, and we're working with Microsoft. And we will publish as much as we can into the new Microsoft Open Source Foundation, which is with SAP and Adobe, right? So this isn't some kind of build the moat, right? right. And we're starting to work with the law society and the legal firms, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea is to go, can we create effectively the open banking equivalent for corporate data? So that actually there's... We're not going to use APIs, but there's an effectively an API-type call you can make into a large corporate and say, I need the data for this to provide this service. And as long as you're contractually allowed to do that, they'll allow that to happen in a predictable and easy way. So corporates will be compelled, essentially, to provide that information to somebody who was trying if to get access to it. If they want to buy that service, right? If and, they want to buy yeah. it. So. And the reality is, of course, everyone needs to be audited. The audit firms need to change to be automated. So this platform will be installed anyway. And then they can just turn it on to tax services, legal services, insurance services, etc. The parallels with open banking are really interesting, right? Because, you know, I spend my day kind of looking at open banking. Just to, help us with open banking. Yeah, so Not open banking is kind of building the rails and able to kind of allow for innovation on top of banking information, right? And so we've made an investment in a company called TrueLayer that provides a lot of these systems. There are other players and providers. Banks themselves are trying to open up their data 
to enable other companies to leverage that information to build interesting innovation that at the end of the day enables customers to do truly great things with their financial uh, data. And I think you're seeing the same kind of shift in professional services, except for the data structures and the access to data is really, really complex and really, really difficult to enable that kind of creativity in terms of innovation on top of that. So with services like Engine B, the hope is that other firms will have access to that data and be able to build on top. Got it. We need to close shortly. If we go back to where we started, the traditional big pyramidal professional services firm, a lot of the talk and a lot of our conversation today has, has hinted at this, is about, shall we say, the, almost the hollowing out of these entities where many of the lower level jobs are being automated and outsourced. Is that right? I mean, are we going to see a world where, of course, we still have professional services firms, but there are they're much narrower pyramids where we still, of course, need expert advisors providing advice to companies, but we've just got smaller, nimbler entities in the future and therefore fewer jobs. Is that going so, to be... So services will be delivered in, in legal and accounting and tax, or audit tax and legal, either technology first and with experts behind making sure that the, the training and the learning of the AI systems is correct. People augmented with technology so that they are far more better informed and not doing the transactional pieces. Kind of the transaction and knowledge piece is gone. It's just the wisdom on the top. And then there's some pieces around people and change and et cetera, right? So those would be the three models. I think you'll find out of the 300-odd services that large firms like KPMG, UI, Deloitte, PwC provide, and that includes legal, large percentages of those will be fully automated. Does that mean they're going to be less people? Well, if you ask them, they would say no, because we're going to retrain people, increase our services over here, which is fine. But are you going to do it in the same speed? There are a million people employed in the big four alone, right? Right. So globally. So I think there will be a hollowing out, but there will be new services brought in. And in reality, there's a whole lot of assurance work which is required around data, which people aren't doing today. So if, if firms stand up to that, then there's going to be more more work and missing work. But I, I do think there's going to be a significant shift. And I don't think the partnership model, if I'm being brutally honest, mm. is the appropriate model for making those investments and that change. So I think it's going to be there will be some Kodak moments Indeed, um, coming up. To, to, yeah. Well, I think there will also be a shift in in the UK specific example of the Addison lead to the Uber model, right? As well, right? right. Like the whole idea exactly. of I'm employing all of these people right. to a more right. flexible workforce that enables kind of people to come in and out and almost just in time teams to enable some of that delivery as well. That's right. So this whole move towards flexible working and employees as freelancers. Is, is yeah, and, is, and I think coming. that's where real artificial intelligence will play a role, right? Like, what does yeah. the the most kind of definitive team that's going to execute the best on this particular project actually look like. Because right now, if you look at any of the big four, any consultancy, any of these firms, you know, it's haphazard, really, Mm. how they kind of assign teams to projects, right? You know, I always say availability is not a capability. Exactly. If you're not careful, that's what you end up with, right? And I actually read a paper which talked about in the future, it'll be, there'll be some experts within the business. Yes. There'll be a kind of a crowd situation where you're finding the right expert at the right moment in the right location with the right value system work with a client. And there'll be AI members of the piece, which will be doing quality checks and and augmenting the team. And I'm kind of going, that's the future. How we get there is the issue, right? And and which organizations will make that transition 
is the exactly. issue. So, so I, we're seeing that with software engineering teams right now, right? Like you've got distributed workforces that enable yeah. people to bring the right talent from the right location at the right time into a particular project. I think you'll see that in professional services. So final question. In a university's graduates, many of them go into professional services. MBA students coming from London Business School, some of them are going into professional services. I mean, are we really training them with the right stuff? What should the kids coming through school today actually be learning at university? Because I'm not sure that they should all be going into professional accountancy qualification. Oh, yeah. And there's definitely kind of life skills, right, that you kind of don't necessarily teach for that will enable people to be successful in this modern economy, right? Things like resilience and that growth mindset enable to, you know, the ability to, to actually change from one particular industry to another, from one particular project to another, to not wait for some of this in bound requests for talent, right. you know, that way to be actually proactive and actually sell kind of your capability in some way. I think there could be more of that alongside the technical and digital skills that places like London Business School are starting to implement. Seamus, well, should we be encouraging our kids to be going and doing accounting so, qualifications? So, yeah, I, I'm not sure you should, actually, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Got to care what I say here. But, but you know, the, the reality is I think there's, there's a, the gap it's just, I think you've got to be creative, right? I think the people who are going to survive the longest are creative. I think the people who, who bridge creativity to data science mm. are going to be the, the most in demand. And I'll I t- tell you, a, sorry, a little story. My, my son is now doing A-levels. But when he was choosing his A-levels, I said to him, what A-levels are you going to do? And he said to me, well, I think it depends what jobs exist, right? So I said, okay, what jobs do you think will exist? And he said, well, you know, having listened to you, and he doesn't really listen to me, but well, having listened to you, I think this is a, about... Jobs which are going to have societal value, right, and actually be creative. So if I can be creative and have societal value, you know, therefore, will somebody still want to be told they've got cancer by a human being? They probably will, right? But actually, therefore, being an accountant looking through a general ledger, looking for fraud, it's a dead-end job, right? Mm. So, so I think kind of be creative. If you can be creative and also have, bridge the gap, to data science, then I think that'd be a great thing. Yeah, I think that logical and numeracy thing is definitely never going to go out of style. No, I right? agree. You definitely yeah. need that. We're but always going to be in fashion. For we're, we're always going to be in fashion. <laughs> thank, thank God for that. But I think the other element that Shame has touched on about having bringing creativity to the mix is something that hasn't historically been accentuated and kind of promoted. And I definitely think that's the future. We have to leave it there. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you, Farhan, for a fascinating and lively conversation. Please join us again for more in our podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence, available on london.edu.